morning. Um, we're going to talk about one of the more familiar passages of Scripture, probably in the whole Bible, and that's Psalm 23. Now, I learned that as a child, and you may have learned it or have had heard it read or maybe had to even memorize it as as a child. Uh, and as an adult, you may look back on it and, and just acknowledge Psalm 23 is a precious song, you know, written by David. Or you may see it on a greeting card or memorial card or even a wall plaque. But what we want to talk about a little bit today is just to maybe challenge us all uh, that to see if we really believe what David was saying um, and really have the confidence he had in that Lord God uh, that he was that he was serving. And as a child, again, well, not even just as a child, but just just recently, I um, I really could almost see David as a young shepherd boy, and he may have been sitting under the shade of a tree, and maybe I've even seen this, a picture of this may illustrate sometime, I don't know. Or maybe he was sitting on a rock overlooking his herd, and when he wrote this psalm. But just recently, I realized that this was not the case at all. And I was uh, uh, felt led to get back into um, Psalm 23 um, this spring, and I got at a um, Jewish commentary on on the Psalms, all the Psalms, and um, and now these scribes and uh, rabbis and sages of old, they're interpreting what was originally written in their own language, and they can be very enlightening in in that this is what this this passage means in our language and this is what it means in the time that it was written and so they can be very enlightening about uh, their uh, interpretation of the Old Testament what we call the Old Testament scriptures but this is what they said about Psalm 23 that just proves how the image I had was so wrong it said David composed this famed psalm during one of the most dangerous and discouraging periods of his life. He was a forlorn fugitive, fleeing from King Saul and his army. In desperation, David hid himself in a barren, parched, dry land. And you can read about this in uh, 1 Samuel 22. But uh, David wrote this precious song, this, this precious psalm, with the confidence he had in his Lord God. There was no uh, uh, fear or, or lack of confidence uh, in God being anything but his total provision. When he wrote this, but now David had, you know, killed a lion and a bear and, and all the things in his experience with Goliath. Uh, but... Uh, he had he knew the responsibilities also of a shepherd and he knew that the lord god was his shepherd and the responsibilities of a shepherd is to lead guide protect 
and have total care over his sheep. And so I want to read it, uh, the first three verses of Psalm 23, out of a complete Jewish Bible that has been uh, interpreted uh, by Jewish scribes in their own language, of course. And, of course, they would not say Lord in Hebrew. They say Adonai because they didn't even, they reverenced the name of of God so much that they uh, thought it was too precious even to speak in in the the, uh, Orthodox Jews the same way today. But anyway, he said, Adonai is my shepherd. I like nothing. He has me to lie down in grassy pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my inner person. He guides me in right paths for the sake of his own name. And and you'll find out later, I'll tell you why I did want to use uh, that version of uh, that translation. It's the actual translation of that psalm. Now, some years ago, I came in contact with a um, book uh, written by Philip Keller. And he, uh, the name of the book was A Shepherd's View of Psalm 23. So he uh, was, uh, for several years, a actual shepherd of sheep in East Africa. And, but he went on to uh, be a specialist in agriculture in not only uh, animals but plants. But anyway, when he, he had this knowledge of a shepherd, and it was, it was so interesting. And uh, um, because, you know, I had actually thought, you know, I, I wasn't around sheep uh, until my teenage years, and I was, had the opportunity to be around sheep for a while. And I thought, you know, they are so dependent on, on care from someone else. They can do so little, you know, by themselves. And I thought, God, why? I mean, the thought came to my mind, even as a teenager, why do you call us sheep? I mean, they're just, you know, they're just, they're so dependent for everything. And so, anyhow, he really enlightened me. And the comparison, and he, and he compared a sheep, and, and God calls us his sheep, and Jesus calls us his sheep as well. And uh, Jesus called, uh, God called his, uh, the people of Israel his sheep, and we're going to read that in a minute. And then, of course, Jesus calls us his sheep, uh, the believers. So anyway, and so this Philip Keller, would, uh, a couple of illustrations um, in comparing sheep with, uh, with the church and with uh, individual believers. He said you can have a herd of sheep and said they can be out and said one sheep can. They don't have to see danger or a predator. They can see just some bushes move. So they don't know where it's a cougar or a, or a rabbit. And one sheep will just take off and the others will follow. The others have no idea why they're running. They didn't see anything. They, I mean, they don't know. They're just followers. And then another illustration he gave was um, uh, he said that um, he always kept his gun close by and it, uh, because there were predators in that area. I think there were, you know, maybe cougars and as well as... Um, course wolves and things like that that uh, would you know just clear out even a, a 
a group of dogs could just clear out a number of sheep in one night. I mean, uh, like 50s or whatever. He gave illustration what he had actually experienced. And, uh, but he said he heard his sheep that was really disturbed, and he heard the, the cry, the, the, the sound, and, and he could help, have, uh, hear them was just all upset and disturbed. And he said he got up and got his gun and went out. And now remember, it's night, it's dark, and said he didn't say anything because in case it was a, uh, you know, a larger animal that, uh, that the sheep was in danger. So he went, he had his gun, it was dark, and he went to the pasture where the, where the sheep were so unsettled and said he had, the gate that went into that pasture had a squeak to it. And so he said as quick as he opened the gate, the, his sheep became calm. They had that confidence in their shepherd. They didn't have to hear him. They didn't have to see him. It was just that knowing and that relationship that he had with those sheep. And, said, uh, and so I thought that was interesting in that a lot of times we think we have to hear something or know something. It just takes that confidence in knowing who our shepherd is. And so a shepherd uh, sees that his sheep are delivered from any harm, where it's predators like wolves down to even flies or insects. He protects them from any harm, whether it's the weather or poison plants or whatever. He is their physician. They're, they have a lot of health care needs. Uh, just they are so subject to so many things. And he is their health care. And, and he is a restorer. And he talked about how. Uh, and now, he has the heart of a shepherd, this Philip Keller that, uh, was telling this. And so he said he would get a sheep from um, a shepherd that was less caring. And his, it's just like he had this determination to make that sheep all of its potential. You know, if there's any uh, care that that sheep needed. So that's just part of that personality of a loving, a loving, caring shepherd. And so David said in Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is, and that's continuous present tense, is now my shepherd. And uh, so this, uh, that total provision that comes uh, with a shepherd, he had, that's where his confidence lies. Uh, and so uh, the, within the last year, Psalm 91, uh, a lot of people have uh, gone to because of our things that's been going on in our nation. And, but the last part of Psalm 91 um, and the last three verses in Psalm 91 gives, uh, you do this, and, and, the, and it tells the response that you'll be in your life as well for you doing this. Then it gives another verse, and it tells you do that verse, and this is the result of you doing that verse. Then it gets down to the last three verses, which is Psalm 91, 14, 15, and 16. Now, this is a Heavenly Father speaking himself. And he says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. 
With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, we've talked about this before here, and that salvation there is Yeshua in the Hebrew, and it means, that salvation means deliverance, victory, prosperity, safety, and welfare. And the primary meaning of it in Psalm 91:16 is that it means to rescue from distress or danger. Can you see those characteristics of a shepherd right there? And so this is the Lord God that David had his confidence in. And so uh, we want to talk about this, that confidence he had when David's life uh, was, um, he was hiding from Paul who wanted to, to kill him and went to great lengths uh, trying to accomplish this. But in all of this, David had a confidence and a security in knowing his shepherd. Okay? And those of us that believe in Jesus as our shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, then we can trust that uh, that our needs will be met. He will lead and guide and we have total care. Now, I want to read in um, John, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, 10, 10, and 11. The last part of 10 says, uh, of the first part says, um, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, I am come that you would have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Uh, that's John 10, 11. Uh, 10, 10. And 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd, uh, a shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of them. And so that is Jesus Christ himself declaring that he is the one whose desire is who came to uh, meet our every need. And so we as uh, that have Jesus as our Lord and Savior and have received him, we can say that we, we like no good thing that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us because we, are, uh, we call ourselves the body of Christ, we are the child, his children. Uh, we have the mind of Christ. We're partakers of his divine nature. We're temples of his Holy Spirit. So he has qualified us for these things, these things that he has accomplished. So when he came to this earth and uh, lived, and when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and yielded to what he knew was God's divine plan for him, then, then on his way to the cross, all the beatings, all of the um, harassing, and all of the, uh, they spit on him and uh, pull his beard out and, and stripped all the flesh off his back. And then, uh, and on the cross, they nailed his uh, hands and feet to the cross and pierced his side. Now, they didn't kill Jesus. Jesus, by choice, um, uh, gave up his life, 
And and most of us are, have heard, a lot of us have heard, John 3, 16 and 17. Well, I want to read 17. It says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That's that word saved. And we've heard Brother John give the meaning of, of saved, the verb verb form of the verb, a word saved uh, many times. And that is deliver, protect, heal, save, and make whole. Again, those are definitions that described a good, caring shepherd. So Jesus is this thing, the, these uh, to us. He said, I am the good shepherd. And so as he gave his life, as, as it's said many times in the New Testament, and he gave his life, he was resurrected and ascended, and it says that he is now our heavenly high priest interceding for us. Now, that may be a new thought for some people. Uh, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's there, and it's, uh, we'll read three verses that's going to confirm that. But you may not even be familiar, that familiar with the word intercede. But now, Brother John's taught on the different types of prayer before, and intercession is a type of prayer. And But to intercede means to be the force in between. So if you have someone with a need or a situation that uh, needs uh, correction or help or whatever, then you have uh, uh, a, the force of the power that's super abundantly above that what's able to take care of that need, and that's what we have in our precious uh, 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 Father God, that then you have this, inner, you intercede, and you are that force in between. Intercede means to be the in-between. And so we're going to read some scriptures to let, let us know that this good shepherd that Jesus declared he was, that's, that is true, and we have all of this that's written and, and the scriptures, but today he is uh, interceding for us. He is that in-between, between our needs and that superabundance above all we could ask or think supply. And so this is for, given in uh, Hebrews 7.25, it says, wherefore he, talking about Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost uh, that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so he is forever making intercession for us. And that's his present tense, uh, one of his functions, present tense today, right now. And so in uh, Romans 8, 34, it says, uh, Who is he that condemns? Uh, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So this is King James. This isn't a paraphrase. This is what King James, who he tells us, or tell, he tells us uh, what Jesus Christ is doing right now on our behalf. Uh, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 
So he is that mediator. He is that intercessor. That's who we have right now. He knows our needs right now. And so we can pray that Psalm 23 and, and it be totally accurate. We do have a the Lord. He wants to lead and guide us. He wants those that whole Psalm 23 is ours. But we also have, according to Jesus himself, we have that good shepherd, and he has laid down his life for us. He said it in his own words. And so that is that is the present day, who we are, uh, and what we have, and, and that that we can have confidence in. Okay, Psalm 23.2 says, uh, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, you would think that that would be quite obvious, and green pastures. But I went ahead and looked up green pastures. Now, green pastures for sheep that they would lay down in is a little bit different than green pastures for, let's say, for cattle is concerned. Because uh, sheep need that tender grass, that fresh, tender grass, and they won't eat uh, over mature, mature grass or whatever. Because, but they, and so he clearly says here, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So I looked up. I said, I wonder what he's talking Why did he uh, say that or need to say that? And it says, that green pastures there means lush, pleasant pastures. Uh, pastures to abide in pleasantness. See how conscious and, and how specific that was to the need of those sheep? And so he said he would make them lie down and so a sheep uh if they're not they won't lie down just because they're tired and kate in fact uh this <laughs> philip keller said he said if a sheep is hungry if the sheep is thirsty if the sheep is too hot if the sheep is too cold if there's a fly flying around its head if it's whatever if there's a sound maybe miles away, and they can hear that sound. If there's any distraction whatsoever, the sheep will stand there the whole night. So the fact that God provided for that sheep to lie down means that that sheep had its needs met. That sheep was lying down without, the need, without any need. And the fact that it's laying down in green pastures means, hey, that sheep was full. He had eaten, he was content, and he was laying down in surplus. He was laying down in that more than he needed. And so that was, uh, that's, what that, that's what the shepherd did. He provided not just barely enough to get along, but that sheep, could, he made him lie down in abundance. Okay, praise the Lord. Um, and then the last part of verse 2, it says, He leads me beside a still waters. So why, why still waters? Uh, and this leading, it uh, looked like that would be obvious what the lead is. Well, the lead there, talking about a shepherd, Leading sheep, that word lead there, 
in the original Hebrew means the easy route. It means the route of less stress. It means to lead gently. So there the, the shepherd is that's going to make the easiest, less stressful, and gently lead that shepherd, and he's going to lead him beside still waters. Okay, and so uh, back to this modern-day shepherd, uh, that Philip Keller, he said that in the summer when it got hot and the sheep had eaten a lot of the tender grass and it wasn't as tender anymore, said he would take the sheep up into higher ground in a more, actually it's more mountainous area. But see, he said he would go before his sheep, and if there was a limb in the way, if there was uh, maybe the water had washed out and there was a gully or something washed uh, away that would be uh, a challenging for his sheep, he would correct everything. He would go before the sheep and truly smooth out the path. He would remove the things in the path that would be a challenge to his sheep. And he said that he would even pick up, pick out the poisonous plants that they would have no idea would be poisonous to them. But, and then in, uh, as far as the still water, he said a shepherd wouldn't look at a distance and say, hey, there's a, there's a stream over there. There's a river there, a creek. I'll just take them by there somewhere. I'll just get, take them over there. There's plenty of water over there. No, he would go and pick out where the still waters were. And so why still waters for those sheep? Because if a sheep was going down an incline to a, to a stream, that's the way it usually is, then if they went into swift water, that swift water, would, would, their wool would soak it up and they would drown. So there this, when he says he leads, um, uh, he leads me beside still waters, that means that shepherd is going forth clearing everything out of the path that's a challenge for that sheep. It's going to be the easiest route, the route with less stress, and it's going to be so stressless that the leading is going to be gentle, and the water is going to be not only refreshing, but it's going to be safety. And so that's a shepherd. And so if a shepherd would do that for a sheep, then how much more would a loving Heavenly Father have that desire to go before us and take away from our path anything that would hinder our getting from where we are to where we need to be? That loving, loving, caring shepherd that we have. Okay, verse 3 of Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. And so restore there means to re return to the starting point, to reestablish, and to bring back. And so soul there. Now soul in the Old Testament, can you, you have to know how it's used because it can either mean the spirit man or it can mean your mind. Now in the New Testament, soul means your, your mind, will, emotions. But now, in the Old Testament, you need to see how it's used, that word S-O-U-L. And that's the reason I read you out of the complete Jewish Bible there, because it says, uh, he leads me in the right path. Um, he restores my inner person. 
So there, it's talking about his spirit man. It's not talking about his intellect there. So uh, David had been through a lot, but he had confidence that God was going to bring him back, return him to the starting point of his divine plan for his life. Even though he was hiding in a cave with his life at stake, his, just like the song that Bill let us in, his eyes was on that that he had confidence in. Okay? And so that uh, soul there uh, is that returning of the, his spirit man. But we have, we're in the New Testament, in that uh, he restores my soul would, uh, would in the New Testament just about always, it means your mind, will, emotions, intellect. But let's see what God would have us be returned to, okay? So we're going to Genesis 1:26, and it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over uh, all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. So God is going to create his man, give him authority, and then the first thing he did is he blessed them, and then he said... So verse 28 of, Psalm, of Genesis 1, 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God made man perfectly whole. He made man complete. He made man with authority. Okay, now Genesis 2, 7 says, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed uh, into his nostrils the breath of life. So that's uh, the original uh, condition of God's man. He, God's man had nothing but the life of God in him. And so when we pray for God to restore our lives, that means, God, return me to your original intent for your man. And we have a right to believe that because that's the very purpose that Jesus Christ came for. There was this perfect condition in the Garden of Eden, and we've talked about this before. Adam chose to obey the spirit, yield to the spirit of disobedience. He had a will. God gave man a will so we wouldn't have a bunch of robots and so he chose to obey that spirit of disobedience. And so man was separated from the presence of God. So that that man needed restoring to, and God's plan was for man to go back to his original intent for him. And so uh, and, and we, as, as we believe in Jesus Christ, we can believe and have confidence in that he did a complete accomplished work and when we receive him as savior then we have that opportunity to come back in that is his choice 
a position for those that believe in him. Okay. Uh, and it says that he, uh, on the last part of Psalm 23, 3, it says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I think I've said this before, but it's still true. Uh, the word righteousness is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible, and it's used about as much as any other word. It's in there hundreds of times in the Old and the New Testament. And so righteousness means justice, you know, right. God is a uh, righteous God. He is a just God. So it's a character of God. It's his ways, his nature, his purposes, thoughts, and actions. And it says that Abraham, even back in Genesis 15, 6, it says Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So believing in the Lord Jesus Christ qualifies us for receiving this righteousness. Jesus took upon himself our unrighteousness that we would receive his righteousness. And, and that uh, in Abraham believed God and it was counted for him as righteousness is quoted in the New Testament several times. In Romans 4, it's in there three times just in that one chapter. Romans 4, 3, 9, and 22. And it's in Galatians and Hebrews as well. So I want to read uh, Romans 5:17, and this is going to kind of uh, surmise what I, some that I just said. It says, "For if by one man's offense, and that's Adam, well, by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which have the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness." shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So righteousness is not something we can attain. We can't, we're not less righteous if we do bad or more righteous if we do good. It is a gift. It is a, if you are born again, you are the righteousness of God. It is a gift. And, and so this uh, uh, fall of Adam... Jesus Christ has qualified us to bring us back into that restoration that God created for his man to, uh, mankind to begin with. Okay, and then Romans 14, uh, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, we heard a wonderful message last week on peace and this is uh, a character of jesus you know peace on earth that christmas song we sang that uh, stephanie spoke about last week and the righteousness and joy this is all this characteristics this is the uh characteristics of the father god himself and that is uh jesus has qualified us to benefit from uh these characteristics of uh, the loving shepherd that we have. Now, I want to uh, wind this up by reading. Uh, I think I'll go ahead and read uh, in Colossians 1, the book of Colossians chapter 1, the prayer that uh, a lot of people pray in Colossians 1 until we get over to uh, this reconciliation. Okay. Colossians 1, 9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, 
do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, with all patience, with long suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, uh, which has made us partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the powers of darkness, has translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, and who we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin. See all those characteristics of a Savior? Um, and that's, this is our position now. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us. This is his restoration that he came and lived and died that horrible death to attain for us. This is what he is present day at the right hand of the Father interceding for us to be manifested in our lives. Okay, verse 15 says, Who is the, uh, Jesus talking about Jesus Christ. Let me read 13, 14 again. Uh, talking about Jesus Christ, who has delivered us from the powers of darkness and has translated us in the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, who in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that is in heaven, that is in the earth, visible and invisible, things that, uh, uh, where the things that are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, uh, who is the beginning, and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence, or he may have that uh, superiority. So there you have that plan of the Father. And in, in, you know, we, when we read in Genesis 1:26. He said that uh, he was going to create the creation. It was the man would be created in our image, in our likeness. So there it tells you that Jesus Christ was there from the beginning. And of course, it says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. So there is that confirmation of Jesus' status uh, from the very beginning of time. Okay, Colossians one nineteen. For it pleased the Father that in him shall all fullness dwell. So we have a shepherd that, that the Father says that in my Son, who separated you from the powers of darkness into the kingdom of, 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 the, of him, my Son, who has um, redeemed you by his own blood, who, that you have forgiveness of sin. It pleased the Father that in this Son, in this Savior, in this good shepherd that Jesus himself called himself for us, is the, does the fullness of God dwell. 
So that's the potential of this good shepherd we have. It's the fullness of God himself. But that was also God's plan for his man back in there when he breathed all that he was into Adam himself. Okay, now I'm going to read um, uh, three more verses. And having made peace through blood, through his blood on the cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. That's that bringing that back around. That's bringing it back around to where it's supposed to be. That reconciliation that Jesus said he came to do. Let me read 20 again. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, for there be things in earth or things in heaven, in you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. So if you think you have a past that's going to disqualify you, you could have a wicked past. You may have a wicked mind. But he says that he sent his son that's full, filled with the fullness of him who came to bring us back around to his divine plan. And so one thing I think we have to be uh, uh, really careful about is that when we, when we uh, realize the love of, that God has for us and when we realize the work of the Savior that we have, that we do not uh, give what the fall of Adam more credit than we do the work of Jesus Christ. So, uh, in the things that I have said, we do have the same Lord God that uh, David was singing about in Psalm 23. And, of course, we just covered the th three verses. But we can, based on New Testament uh, scriptures and truths, then we can pray uh, Psalm 23 uh, with God's plan for a shepherd being manifested in our lives. And I want to read right quickly, and I, I, I'm going to do this. I thought I wasn't, but I think I'm supposed to. If you go back to Jeremiah 23, um, this what has happened here is God was pretty well put out by the leaders of his sheep Israel. He is calling Israel here his sheep. And so uh, Jeremiah 23, 1 says, saith the Lord. The second verse ends with saith the Lord. So the, the Lord God is speaking here. So we're going to read 4, 5, and 6, and then this will be the end of it. Uh, it says, and I will, this is what the Father's saying. He said, I will set up shepherds over them, talking about Israel, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither be lacking, saith the Lord. Now this is the Lord back in Jeremiah. He said, I'm wanting my people without any lack in their lives. I don't want them to be dismayed about anything. I want them fed and cared for. And I'm going to assign the shepherds myself. Well, that's over his people Israel. We are his children. How much more does he desire this for his children? Okay, verse 5. 
Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And that's, this is a messianic pas uh, passage talking about Jesus Christ. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. In these days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is a name wherefore he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So that that he will lead us in the, uh, in the path of righteousness for his name's sake is that we just honor that name that he is. That's one of the Jehovah names. Jehovah Sitkanu is the Lord our righteousness. So if we see that this is God's plan, uh, it's not only what David had confidence in, but it's just God's plan that, that, that we, and he has given us Jesus Christ to be that good shepherd. So now as we pray Psalm 23, uh, we have that same Lord God, but we have Jesus Christ. And so when you, it's, it's perfectly uh, scriptural, as I said before, if you want to pray Psalm 23, say, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads, guides, protects, and totally cares for my need. I lack nothing that Jesus Christ has accomplished for me. I lack nothing that he uh, experienced before the cross, on the cross, that victorious resurrection power that raised him from the dead is a power that I have to work on my behalf now. He makes me lie down completely satisfied in abundance. He leads me beside refreshing and safety. He restored my life through Jesus Christ. He restored me back to his original intent for his man. And I can live the life that Jesus Christ has accomplished for me as a result of the Holy Spirit living in me. And the path that I go down today are the purposes, thoughts, and actions of my Lord God. That's what the path of righteousness is. Righteousness of God is his purpose, thoughts, and actions. So you can pray this and say, the path I go down today are the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for the sake of what he's accomplished. I come against anything that's contrary to God's purposes, thoughts, and actions for my life today. And that's what we have. That's what we have today. And so I pray that that we our confidence and who we are based on God's word and our confidence on what we have because of what Jesus has done is manifested in our eyes that others can see, that others can know that our lives bear witness to that finished work of Jesus Christ. He so loved the world that he gave his life. Uh, he gave his life for a bunch of unbelievers. And so they need to know. They need to see. They need to have a witness of this truth, that that has been accomplished for them.
Okay, Father, we thank you for your word that is truth, and we thank you for our precious uh, Jesus, uh, the good shepherd that he says he is for us. And as Father, if there's anyone that is listening that does not know this good shepherd, he died to be the shepherd of for all. He died for the world that they would be saved, that they would be protected and delivered, made whole and healthy and prosperous and, and be made whole. So, Father, I pray that uh, anyone that needs that Savior, that they'd take that step, that have that desire to uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as their shepherd providing their every need. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.